Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I am your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I am here today with my co-host and sister, Rebecca Horsley-Bera. Hi, it's good to be here. Great to have you here. We wanted to interview Laura together because Rebecca and I know her, and we met her at ADAC last year, which is the Association for Deaf Educators and Counselors. And she was presenting on the topic that we're talking about today. And we're gonna talk about loss due to substance use. And Rebecca, as you were saying, you know, there's such a crisis right now. Laura Vargas, she is a licensed clinical social worker. She developed Philly Heels, which is a recognized bereavement program due to substance use, and it is national. And she now works for the organization SADOD, which stands for Support After a Death by Overdose. And our friends, Glenn Lord and Franklin Cook started this. So we made those connections and now they're working together, which I love because you all are basically doing the same thing. You're helping people find hope after loss and you're working in the substance use space. You're the director of outreach services. So welcome Laura to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with you both. So Rebecca and I were wondering how you even got into the field of substance use and you know, death by sight. It's called substance use and not substance abuse, right? Correct. Substance use is the word that we're using now. It's more um, kind of humane. Okay. So is that, that's why it's because it's not as punitive as substance abuse. Exactly. How did you get into this? Yeah. So when I went to school for social work, I knew that I wanted to do something in a space that could allow me to do direct service work with clients, but could allow me also to do something on the realm of policy programming and whatnot. And I graduated with my MSW in 2019, which was, you know, starting to be the peak of the overdose crisis. Mm -hmm. Numbers were just going up and up all around the country. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and Philip, which is in Philadelphia and Philadelphia that was hit really, really hard and continues to be really hit really hard by the overdose crisis. So in my years In Philly for grad school, I was seeing more and more just how this crisis was devastating the city. And so I developed a very profound interest in it because it's something that also affect all the other realms that we go to social work school for, you know, social policy, issues Mm -hmm. of mental health, issues of economic policy, incarceration, you know, everything was touched by the overdose crisis. So that's where when I knew that I wanted to do something in that realm and just stumbled upon an incredible opportunity that I'm excited to talk to you more about. How do you help people that have had somebody die of a substance use? Yep. So it's all about connecting with individuals as soon after the death as possible so that they know that support is available and that there's a Mm -hmm. place to go to whenever they are ready. It doesn't have to be right away. It can be whenever. So in Philadelphia, when I first started, it was based out of the medical examiner's office there. So we were reaching families day one, day two, couple of weeks, couple months out. And it was a matter of letting them know we are here to support you. What does Mm -hmm. that support look like? You tell us, we can tell you what's available to you. And that includes 
grief counseling, support groups, psychoeducational workshops, all sorts of things, psychoeducational workshops that are like lessons on grief topics that we might know as professionals in the field, but Mm -hmm. to others, it's completely new, especially with um, the grief that follows a loss due to substance use. Many people weren't expecting this to happen. So didn't have time to prepare for what that grieving process would look like. Um, Some of the other services were peer support groups to connect with others who've been through a similar experience, matchmaking program. So that was for people who wanted to connect with somebody who's had a similar experience, but might not feel comfortable in a group setting. So we could pair Mm -hmm. them up one-on-one with someone who had a similar experience. So be it a sister who lost a brother, you know, we could find them another sister who lost a brother. And all of these things that I'm talking about, were all completely focused on deaths due to drugs. Is this free service for people in Philly? Your organization reaches out to the families and this is all free available to everyone. What a, what a wonderful service. Yeah. And so I'm actually no longer there. Um, I just left a few weeks ago. Is that OD similar, isn't it? So SADOD, yes, it's Massachusetts based. So it's support okay. for individuals in Massachusetts. And they also connect people to support groups and whatnot. There isn't that clinician element. So there's no direct grief counseling through them. And the program that I'm starting for them is in the very early planning phases. But the goal is to establish partnerships with organizations organizations that are at the front lines of this. So who are groups that are connecting with these families as early as possible? And how can we partner with them so that we can then have a trained peer reach out to them to also offer a whole slew of supports, but keeping it peer-based. So I love that role in the sense of program development, supervising, kind of seeing it all play out versus in Philadelphia, I was also doing the clinician side of things of having direct clients that I was working on. I love this, Laura, because you know, the research shows that the two most important things after a traumatic loss are learning adaptive coping skills and peer support. Yes. It is, peer support is invaluable. And so, you know, I think in the past we've minimized that and now we're seeing the research is supporting this. And when we've had lived experiences, we've seen it. Rebecca and I have been very involved in Compassionate Friends, which is peer-to-peer support, and it's helped us tremendously after our brother died. So, you know, we're we're seeing it firsthand, but I, I really am a big proponent of peer support. Absolutely. And I think it is even, you know, we already know how important it is. I mm-hmm. would add an extra layer to that for stigmatized deaths. Yes. That's yeah. due to drugs and alcohol are still highly stigmatized. We're getting better as a society, but for so many people, they still don't have anyone that they feel comfortable talking to about this. And so they'll go into isolation and feel alone. And a lot of the struggle is that feeling of loneliness, of isolation. And so that peer support reminds people that they are not the only ones. We're having over 100,000 deaths per year in the US due to Over 100,000 deaths per year. So have you seen that number increase a lot in the last couple of years? It jumped very, very widely um, the first year of the pandemic. So 2020, that's when we hit, we crossed that 90,000 mark. And each year since we've crossed the 100,000 mark. And, you know, we could have a whole podcast episode on how that is on the impact of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, So you've talked a little bit about, you know, the stigma around this. And like you said, it's growing. 
what what else is unique about losing someone to substance use? For well, I would say it affects everybody. It transcends every social stratification that we usually have. Mm-hmm. It goes across demographic groups. But what I think makes it unique is that people are kind of across a spectrum. Some have been navigating a loved one's substance use for decades, for years, and have maybe prepared for this moment or thought that they've prepared for this moment because they've been so worried because there have been previous non-fatal overdoses. And that's its own unique grief experience is to navigate the fact that you might've begun grieving this person before they died, but now they're actually gone. And so what does that all entail? And that's heavy and there's a lot to unpack. On the other hand, there's people where this is a complete surprise. They had no idea that their loved one used any substances, was at risk of dying from substances. And so that's a whole nother level to unpack there is all the questions that, that come from how did I not know this was happening? What could I have done differently? All these questions that people, it's very normal to kind of go down these rabbit holes and just makes the grief experience. Well, it's like the would have, could have, the would have, could have, should have that we do. And I'm thinking on the one hand with knowing about it and taking this journey, there's a lot of stress along the way. And also it's a lot, it's like a, your, your, a role is taken when you, someone dies, because I mean, some of your role is helping this person, taking care of this person, trying to do interventions with this person. Mm -hmm. My father-in-law died of cirrhosis. Mm-hmm. And it was a result of alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And in his case, there was, like you said, a journey where we mm-hmm. did interventions and we were worried and we were, you know, and then he stopped drinking completely for five years. But the problem was the liver was already damaged. Mm-hmm. And there was, it, there was the point of no return by that time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see firsthand some of the things that people are dealing with. And I'm imagining, Lauren, I wonder if you've seen this, that there's some uh, shame and guilt mm-hmm. for those that are that have lost a loved one to an overdose. Are there groups as well that people can attend where they can feel yeah. hopeful? And, and I think there's always something around um, shared experience, Absolutely. being in a group with people that have had this, this experience and being able to talk it through. And to find hope again and to, and to heal from this devastating, these devastating losses. Definitely. And SADOD, one of the main things that it's known for is having a very robust um, grief support group directory. Uh, Being that they're based in Massachusetts, they have a list of about 60 some support groups throughout the state of Massachusetts, and you can filter it to find what works for you. So some of these groups are specific to substance use, some are not. Some people might feel more comfortable in a group that's focused on substance use deaths and some might feel comfortable in just a general group. You can also filter mm-hmm. them based on relationships. So a siblings only group or parents only group. Um, and so being able this. to offer options for people so that they can choose what works for them versus just prescribing a grief plan, if you will. We know that everyone has to find what works for them. It's so individual. So Laura, in your experience, what, how can people be helpful? What can they say after, uh, after this kind of a loss and what shouldn't they say? I think that also the most important piece is listening. 
How can they listen without trying to give advice, without trying to say, um, you know, some of those euphemisms of they're in a better place that never mm-hmm. helps because that, you know, I've, I've had a mom tell me once that someone said that to her and she was like, no, a better place would be right next to me on the couch watching TV yeah. as we did every Sunday night. Um, and so what can they say is, how can I help you? How do you want me to be involved? Do you want me to check in on you? Do you want me to ask you about this? Or do you want me to just kind of sit tight and you'll reach out? I think just really providing those opportunities for the bereaved person to tell you what they need and what they don't need. And just keeping an open mind that what might work for someone might not work for somebody else. Somebody might be really guided and comforted by their religion or by their spirituality. And and that's what gives them that hope and allows them to work towards healing. And someone might not want anything to do with that. So for someone who's trying to support another person, a loved one, a friend, a family member who's going through the grief experience, I think more important than what to say is just how to listen openly, compassionately, and to not take offense when the grieving person tells you, I just don't want to talk right now that's okay. They're going through something really difficult. You know what I'm hearing from you, Laura, which is, um, so from so what I think about, do we treat people who have lost um, someone to an overdose differently than you treat mm-hmm. someone whose loved one died of cancer or a car accident or something like that? And it, what I'm hearing from you, it's, it's the same, like treating them the same, like you would, however the person died, it doesn't matter really the circumstances of how they died. It, it matters that that person is grieving because they've lost a loved one. And I think that there's, there is a lot of stigma oh, about mm-hmm. dying yeah. from an overdose. And so it's just like being in support of that person, those people who have lost a loved one. It's interesting, Rebecca, because not only from my own personal experience, not only is there stigma from the world, from people, there's stigma in the, in the medical community, in the professional community. And that's where I was really blindsided. When my father-in-law was in the hospital and was really sick with, with liver cancer, one of the doctors said to my husband, well, your father caused this. He drank, he's, drink, he's the one that drank himself to death. Mm-hmm. He said that and he was treating him. That's how far reaching the stigma goes. Absolutely. And people hold on to that. A lot of times that will be really prevalent in their grief experience is those memories, you know, having such horrible experiences. I've had plenty of clients who had experiences with their loved ones being rejected from rehabs because they had left before. And, you know, now we're not going to give them a chance to, to try to get better again. Or, or those where comments like that were made in hospitals so flippantly, but it has such a devastating impact on someone, especially when the person then dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. So what piece of advice would you give to somebody that is just had this kind of a loss and is really struggling? Give yourself compassion. Know that you're not alone. Reach out for help and know that it's not always going to be as heavy and as overwhelming as it is right now. You will grow around your grief, but to do so, you have to be really patient with yourself and really kind to yourself. Treat yourself the way that you would treat your favorite person in the world. Don't put pressure in timelines and needing to be better by a certain amount of time or anything like that. There are no stages. There is no timeline. It's just allowing yourself to go through this very difficult, but the most natural human experience that there is. And I like what you said about like 
how would you treat another person if they were going through this? Treat yourself that way, like with compassion. I like that. And, and I think like Rebecca, to add to that, what you're saying, I think parents blame themselves a lot if one of their children has died by substance use, I, you know, I should have known, I should have stopped it. I parented wrong, whatever, all these things that aren't true that they tell themselves. I think they they can be their own worst critics as well. And none of that brings that person back. What I always remind people is we don't have control over what happened. Mm-hmm. The only thing we have control over is how we treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. So what is it serving us to beat ourselves up thinking all of these different rabbit holes? It's not serving us in any way that's going to allow us to heal faster or better. It's just bringing us down when we're already down. We're already going through the worst experience possible. We don't need more torture and anguish and this one being self-imposed. Absolutely. Um one of the things I love about the Compassionate Friends, which sound like you're doing as well, is they have online groups for parents and siblings that have had this kind of loss. I, I like that you're pairing people together because then it normalizes a lot of what people are going through. The guilt, the regret, the shame. You know, it's interesting because stigmatized losses need so much support. And oftentimes people won't even bring up the fact that someone's had a loss because they don't know what to say and it's stigmatized. So they, they don't get even they don't get any support. Right. And I think it's in particular a- for, uh, for an overdose. Yes, I agree, Rebecca. Yeah. So, and, and people always think, well, it can't happen to me. Well, it can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. You can be a wonderful, compassionate person and also be addicted to alcohol. Those mm-hmm. two things can exist together, mm-hmm. Absolutely. you know? And I think, you know, the world is not black and white. So I think to just know that. So, uh, I love everything that you're doing. So how, how do people find you and how do they find SADOD and how do they find this program if they need it? Yes. So for SADOD, it's just sadod.org. You can find information on all of the resources available through SADOD. For those interested in the group that I started in Philadelphia, that's called Philly Heals. And that is phila, P-H-I-L-A dot gov, G-O-V slash grief support. And you can find information on both of those groups, they're both wonderful and really just trying to serve the community. And my biggest goal is to make sure that this isn't limited to Philadelphia and Massachusetts, but that it becomes a nationwide norm to have programs focused on this unfortunately growing population. It just keeps growing each year with this many deaths. Just think of how many newly bereaved individuals we're adding each year and grief doesn't go away. So as we add these newly bereaved individuals, we're adding them to the pool that we already have of those who are few years, few months down the line. So hoping to, to serve many, many more. Well, you are so needed right now, Laura. And I love that you're going to make this national because it is really needed, isn't it, Rebecca? It absolutely is. What a great service that you are providing, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak about this. I think it's very important for people to, again, know that they're not alone. Well, thank you, Laura. We love Sad OD. We love what you're doing. We really, Glenn Lord and Franklin Cook are people we've had on our show before. So we are really happy to build awareness for everything that you're doing and it couldn't have come at a better time. So thanks. Thank you, Laura. And thanks to everybody here today that has joined us at Open to Hope. And we always, Rebecca and I want to say that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. 
I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.